Welcome to His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We're glad you've chosen to join us today. Our passion at His Life Ministries is to help believers know Him and show Him. So we keep it simple. It's just about Jesus. Our prayer is that the Holy Spirit will make His truth plain to you so you can walk in freedom and enjoy the life of union that God has designed for you to live. And now, here's Pastor Todd. Let's uh, look at our text, which is very timely. We're looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. Now, when I arrived at Troas to preach the good news, the gospel of Christ, a door of opportunity was opened for me in the Lord. This is Paul writing. Yet my spirit could not rest, relax, get relief, because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave from them and departed to Macedonia. Again, I'll give you some explanation. Paul is writing to the fellowship in Corinth and giving some explanation for his travels because he had promised to come by and see them. And Paul had ministered among these people for some 20 months or more and had grown to love them. And because he cared for them so deeply, their carnality was particularly painful to him. As we have said before, there were divisions in the church, and some of them were even trying to deny Paul his apostolic authority. They were involved in everything from gross immorality to the perversion of the Lord's table. And then he writes this severe letter, which we don't have, but he writes it, and he has Titus deliver it to them. Now, Paul writes this letter from Ephesus, where a riot breaks out, and he is nearly killed. Then Paul, who was concerned about having maybe grieved this fellowship that he loved so much through his severe letter, runs out to find Titus upon Titus's return from Corinth to learn how that letter was received by the brethren. Now, this is the journey that's being described in verses 12 and 13. So Paul left Ephesus and went to Troas to preach and share Christ. Now, the greatest medicine for an anxious spirit and for despair is serving. It's serving. It's ministry. It's being selfless. Because in that, you're being true to who you are. This cleanses the soul as you declare the truth, and it leaves no room for the lies of the enemy. The enemy would turn your eyes on yourself and drive you to despair and hopelessness. Despair is really the absence of hope. And hope is renewed in the activity of Christ's life in you. And I've said it before, but how many of us have been in a state of despair, hopelessness, or even angry at God, and God put somebody right in the dead center of our path that we had to speak truth to? And in the speaking of truth over our soul, we're renewed. Well, this is kind of what God did with Paul. He sent him to Troas. Paul had an agenda to find Titus. But he went there to minister. And the reason Paul says, I went there to minister the gospel to preach, is because that is the conviction that God had given him. He doesn't say, well, I kind of felt like going down to Troas and preaching. He says, I went there to preach. Now, Paul is speaking of God's directive to his soul. 
go to Troas and preach. And guess what happens? Look what God does. Paul is no doubt battling despair and anxiousness with the riot of Ephesus and the carnality in Corinth. There had to be some sense of rejection in the heart of this man who had given his every effort to the ministry. There had to be suggestions of failure and disappointment being whispered in his thoughts. And God opens the door. God puts him in the place of ministry. God demonstrates his faithfulness to minister and to save. You see, God's plan is ongoing. It doesn't stop just because we get out of sorts. It doesn't stop just because we can't see it. It doesn't cease just because we can't quantify it or identify it. The plan of God is moving forward and you're in the plan of God. So the plan of God is going on. There's victory over sin and death in Troas. And yet Paul could not rest. Paul was still concerned and grieving over Corinth. He did not find Titus there, so that made it worse. There was still no word as to how the letter was received. And he's anxious. Now, this is the same Paul who, through the Spirit, penned Philippians 4.6. Y'all remember that verse? Do not fret or have any anxiety about anything. But in every circumstance and in everything, by prayer and petition, that definite request, with thanksgiving, continue to make your wants known to God. Now, what, what we must understand, what we must understand that Paul was not anxious and fretting for himself, okay? But for the hearts of the people of Corinth. Paul has a father's heart. He has the father's heart for these people. A father will seek to make the choices in life plain to his children, but as I have discovered, he cannot always make those choices for them. Have I, as a father, ever been anxious over my children's choices? Yes. Yes, in my love for them, I want the very best for them. This is not a selfish concern, but an appropriate response for a loving parent. Yet, in all things, and this is what we have to return to, in all things I return to the truth that I am not the shepherd. I am not the shepherd, and they are his. They belong to him. So I rejoice that they are in the plan of God and that all things, even their mistakes and sin, will ultimately work toward the good of that plan. Now that's the reality of a Christian parent, to live in that reality. <laughs> to live in that truth. If you don't, you'll live in all kinds of anxiousness and fear and worry. So Paul makes his way around the Aegean Sea to Macedonia and finds Titus. And Titus has good news for Paul. And that's recorded in chapter 7, verses 5 and 6. It says, For even when we arrive in Macedonia, our bodies had no ease or rest. But we were oppressed in every way and afflicted at every turn, fighting and contentions without, dreads and fears within us. But... God, who comforts and encourages and refreshes and cheers the depressed and the sinking, comforted and encouraged and refreshed and cheered us by the arrival of Titus. Now, Paul is being honest about his condition, both physically and emotionally. I mean, look at the battle. 
Things are looking bleak from Paul's perspective and to some degree hopeless, and his emotions are warring against faith. Do you see the despair of the soul in that? This is the battle that Jesus fought in the garden, the despair of the soul. It's a provocation of faith because we're despairing over what we can see. We're despairing over what we can hear. We're despairing over what we feel and what we perceive to be true. And hope is in none of those things. Hope is by faith. Jesus battled in the garden, the despair of the soul, the attack of the enemy. And you know what the enemy likes to do? He likes to interpret for you your circumstances, trying to take every bit of your hope away from you by getting you to look from God to yourself. But God, the God who is our comfort. The word comfort there is parakaleo. And it means to call beside. God comforts us by calling us to the truth of his presence. By moving our focus away from ourselves, our circumstances to him. That's his comfort. Because he can't get any closer to you. I know there's a lot of plaintive songs and crying and what I call Christian whining. And they want to bring God closer, closer God, closer, closer. You can't get any closer. But you can believe. You can believe he's there. That's what he called Paul too, but God, the God who is our comfort. Through the word brought by Titus, God called Paul to a greater reality. Are you listening? Through the word God brought through Titus, God called Paul to a greater reality, his presence. God revealed his ongoing activity in the Corinth Fellowship. There had been repentance and restoration. There was even grief over Paul's pain and their own carnality. So, did Paul interpret this as a singular victory that was barely won? Did he? Well, let's look at verses 14 through 16. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumph as trophies of Christ's victory, and through us spreads and makes evident the fragrance of the knowledge of God everywhere. For we are the sweet fragrance of Christ, which excels unto God, discernible alike among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the latter, it is an aroma wafted from death to death, a fatal odor, the smell of doom. To the former, it is an aroma from life to life, a vital fragrance, living and fresh. And who is qualified, fit, and sufficient for these things? Who is able for such a ministry? We? So Paul draws an analogy of the ministry and victory of Christ. But thanks be, that's what he says, but thanks be. You know what that means? It's in the present tense. He's saying, that is, we are forever thanking God. Let us forever be thanking God. God is always entitled to our thanksgiving. Who in Christ leads us, present tense, in triumph. 
as trophies of Christ's victory. Present tense. Always, not just every now and then. This is a celebration of complete victory. A victory that has already been won. So, Paul is using actually the Roman triumph to illustrate the grandeur of Christ's victory. I want to read for you a description of the triumph. One theologian describes it this way. The Romans had what they called a triumph. It was the highest honor that could ever be paid to a victorious Roman general. When the Roman government gave a general a triumph, that was the ultimate honor. Before any Roman general could be granted a triumph, he must have achieved certain things. He must have been the actual commander-in-chief in the field and not a secondary leader. The campaign that he engaged in must have been completely finished, the region which was conquered completely pacified, and the victorious troops brought home. According to Roman history, 5,000 of the enemy must have fallen in one single engagement so that it fell into the category of a slaughter. Furthermore, as a result of this campaign, a positive extension of the Roman territory must have been gained. The victory must be won over a foreign foe, not a civil war. And triumphs obviously didn't happen very often. But in an actual triumph, the procession of the victorious general marched through the streets of Rome all the way to the capital. First, there were the state officials and the Senate, always the politicians, never miss a photo op. Then there came the trumpeters and who were heralding what was coming. Then came the spoils taken from the conquered land, carted along. For example, when Titus conquered Jerusalem in 70 AD, the seven-branched candlesticks, the golden table with the shoe bread, the golden trumpets were carried through the streets of Rome in triumph. Then came some painted pictures, and they didn't have cameras or photographs, so they had painted pictures of the conquered land and some models of conquered citadels and conquered ships. They were followed by a white bull, which was to be offered as a sacrifice to the gods. And then there came the wretched captives, the enemy princes, leaders, and generals in chains who were cast into prison probably to be executed. And then there came what we call lictors or punishers who were beating these people with rods. And then came the musicians and the priests swinging their censers with sweet-smelling incense burning. Then came the general himself after all this huge entourage. And he was in a chariot drawn by four horses. And he was clad in purple, a purple tunic embroidered with gold and palm leaves. And over it a purple toga which uh, was marked with golden stars. And in his hand he had an ivory scepter with a Roman eagle on top of it. And over his head a slave held the crown of Jupiter. And after him rode his family. And finally at the very end came the army, wearing all their decorations and shouting, Triumph! 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 And all of this massive procession moves through the streets of the city, all decorated with flowers and the way lined with Mobs of cheering people. It was a tremendous day. Huge. And if you saw that once in a lifetime, you were counted special. That is the picture in Paul's mind. 
That's what he's thinking about. He sees the conquering Christ who's triumphed throughout the world. And Paul is in the triumphal parade as Christ comes through. This is a picture of the victorious Christ declaring his triumph over all the enemies of God. And Paul is declaring the truth over his circumstances. This is not just about the repentance of the Corinthians. This is about walking in the train of a victor who is not just winning, but has already won. Christ was victorious in the midst of the Corinthian rebellion, and he is victorious in the midst of their repentance. Paul is declaring, I'm in that train. I live and breathe in that fragrance. Wherever I go, I am the ministry of Christ. Do you see a change? Do you see his eyes literally widened as he moved from just the, the vision of people rejecting the gospel, people being angry and bitter, people literally attacking him. As he moved from his own body and the pain and the suffering that he was feeling there. As he moved from the carnality of the people that he ministered to. As he moved from that and looked up to see himself walking in the train of a victorious Christ. Things change. When did he get into that train? Oh, he's been there. And so are you. He says, some will accept and some will reject. Some will choose life and some will choose death. But their choice is not the victory of Christ. Their choice is not the victory of Christ. Your circumstances, be they good or bad, is not the victory of Christ. Christ conquered sin, death. He took captivity captive. Christ brought forth victorious resurrection life. For we are the sweet fragrance of Christ, which exhales unto God, discernible alike among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. The acceptance of Christ, the pleasure of God in Christ, look at that verse, the pleasure of God in Christ is ours. Do you see that? We are a sweet Fragrance unto the Lord, because we have the fragrance of Christ. And it is not just something we've spritzed on. It is literally the effect of our union in Him. It is the new creation. It is how we smell naturally. We enter into any place. There is something true about us that will never change. The ministry of Christ precedes us. And the plan of God goes forward. We are marching in it. We are the living sweet fragrance of Christ unto God. Not only among believers, but notice for every man. This is what we are. This is not what we're becoming. This is not what we're trying to become. This is present tense. To those who are perishing, we are the smell of death. Does that mean we stink? No. This is the aroma of Christ. Christ who brings life. Life that they have rejected. They've chosen death. This aroma is the ministry of Christ's life in you. And who is qualified, fit, Sufficient for these things. Who is able for such a ministry? We. Only his life. 
only his life. Verse 17. For we are not like so many hucksters making trade of peddling God's word, shortchanging and adulterating the divine message, but like men of sincerity and purest motive, as commissioned and sent by God, we speak his message in Christ, the Messiah, in the very sight and presence of God. Paul says our message is pure. It's just about Jesus. We don't water it down. We don't make it palatable for the flesh. It is not man-centered. It doesn't appeal or it is not attractive to the flesh. Our motive is to bring forth the truth who is Christ. Paul was facing despair, fear, and dreads. Opposition on every front. But God. The comfort of God was not just in a good report. The comfort of God was not just in a good report. You can see Paul's vision was much greater. The victory was not as great as the victor in whose train we are marching. The plan of God was to put us in the train of a victor. That we may live in the victory of Christ. Not just go in and out of it. And here's where it comes home for us because so many of us only see the victory of Christ in the things that we interpret accordingly. We don't understand. The victory of Christ is not something that happens circumstantially. It's not an event. Though it can be part of it. event. The victory of Christ is a done deal. He is victorious. You say, well, I'm going through this. He is victorious. Well, I'm facing that. He is victorious. Well, my life looks like he is victorious. Do you know who you are? Do you know how blessed you are? Do you know the privilege that is yours? You do not walk in chains. You do not identify with those who have literally been captured and enslaved. You identify with the one who holds the scepter. You are the evidence of his victory. Only the captive and the conquered can despair in this reality. We can rejoice and give thanks that the truth is in us. And the truth in us will never be defeated. How many of us have been despairing over our relationship with the Lord? Despairing over our circumstances? Do you know who you are? Do you see the fact that you do not walk this world in chains, literally enslaved to circumstances and to the comforts of this body? That there's a greater reality for you to live in? There's a greater truth for you to embrace? There's a greater hope that will not leave you? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Our hope is not in a man. Our hope is not in a government. Our hope goes before us, proclaiming his victory over every enemy of God. The ministry of Christ will never be silenced. The truth will never be hidden from the hungry heart. And you are the ministry of Christ that delights our God. One day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus is Lord. One day... Every knee will bow before the victor in whose train we march. And you know what your privilege is? 
Do it now. Do it now. Don't wait until circumstances. Don't wait until the things of this world force you to your knee. Stand in the truth of your victory. Not in some plaintive, resigned cry. Stand in the truth. You are victorious. You are in the train of the victor. And this country may not be all that we want it to be. And I can guarantee you it'll get worse. But we're kingdom people. And it's just going to get better. Can you hope in that? That is our reality. That is what we live to. Thank you for joining us for His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger. This program is the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. If you'd like to know more about us, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. We would love to have you join us for worship. We meet on Saturdays at 5 p.m. at 1307 Blanco Woods at the corner of Blanco Road and Blanco Woods just inside Loop 1604. Also, if you would like to help support this ministry, you can send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006.